Hot Springs Village Inside Out is a closer look at the greatness of Hot Springs Village, Arkansas and the surrounding areas, people, places, experiences. Hot Springs Village is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we engage in weekly conversations to explore Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. Remax of Hot Springs Village. The award-winning Remax of Hot Springs Village is the largest real estate office inside the village with over 30 full-time agents and support staff. Visit them to learn more about this beautiful place to solve your real estate needs. Call them today at 1-800-364-9007. Find them online at explorehsv.com. They are Remax of Hot Springs Village at 1-800-364-9007 or online at explorehsv.com. Ike Eisenhower State Farm. Ike and his award-winning team have been serving the insurance needs of folks all around Hot Springs Village since 1998. Ike has qualified for State Farm's President's Club, Chairman's Circle, and Hot Springs Village Insurance Agent of the Year. Call Ike Eisenhower State Farm today at 501-984-4100. That's 501-984-4100. Find them online at IkeEisenhower.net. Call them today for all your insurance needs because, like a good neighbor, Ike Eisenhower State Farm is there. (laughs) Hot Springs Village, Inside Out, Dennis Simpson, Mr. Rick Marshall. We're talking about the glorious bonbon eating, laying on the couch, the money just pouring in lifestyle of realtors. Is that how it happens? I'm just, I'm confused. Well, I don't know if you're referring to the townhome hoarder that I had to crawl through the house to do the market analysis on maybe, or whether you're talking about the people that I gave them advice on how to stage the home and then decided they loved it so much that they decided (laughs) not to sell. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those two, but uh, yeah, it it isn't always glamorous. Let's put it that way. It's not just glamorous. It's not, that's not the point necessarily I wanted to make. I got the not glamorous. Everybody's got some of that. Part of that is, is that when you're climbing, crawling under the townhouse or when you're helping them, you know, make their house look better. Right. I do that for any other purpose. You know, if I'm working on wiring or whatever, it's a billable hour. But for yeah. you. Not that- so much. It's an all or nothing. That's right. That's true. Really? Yeah. Um, well, you, you should, But you should get that kind of all or nothing because you get 6% every time you sell a house, right? Oh no, I I'll I'll take that if you're offering. But, but that's no, not what that's, you get, right? No, that that's not quite what works. No. Break that break that side down. How does that work? Well, commissions are obviously if you consummate the transaction, then you you get paid, but remembering that that the first of all the commission is split in half. So the listing office gets half, the selling office gets half. Then the agent doesn't get all of that anyway. They've got to split that with the with the office. Then they've got to pay their expenses, and then they've got to pay their taxes. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not quite as lucrative as most people say. You know, goodness, look at all the all the money you're making with, and a lot of those, like you just mentioned, you know, I'll I'll go out and do a market analysis, or I'll spend 
um, hours and hours and hours communicating back and forth with a potential client and they have a change in circumstance. They decide not to relocate or they decide not to sell or they just have something that happens and that's okay. Um, if you think transactionally as a realtor, you stink. Really? Well, and it's a matter of time till you run out of people too, right? That's right. This is a relational business. If you serve your client, you treat them the way you would want to be treated and respected, you'll do well. You'll not only do well, they'll tell other people about you. I built my business on referrals. Um, so, but if you treat it as, as a job, you treat it as a transactional uh, income, you're going to have problem with longevity. And right now in this business, um, with, the, with the slowing economy and the number of transactions declining, um, it's always good to have a little bit of cleanse. There, there will be a few, <laughs> there will be fewer agents next year than there are today. Um, that 80-20 rule where 20% yeah. of the agents do 80% of the business, Right. it applies to real estate as much as it does to anything else. But uh, it's an interesting business. Yes. Um, I've crawled ac across the cat boxes and, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the hoarder lady that every time that the cat filled the, the litter box, she just went out and bought a new litter box. Like you do. And you just keep stacking them higher. Um, but it, I saw that you couldn't possibly throw away an old litter box. I mean, they have intrinsic value, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and DNA apparently. Right. But in that example, um, yeah, I got paid because she told me, she confided in me, Rick, I know this is a, an illness. She acknowledged it. She said, Ooh. I, yeah, she said, I'm really embarrassed. I don't know how to sell my property. I don't want really anybody to see it. Yeah. And I said, look, market exposure is the number one way for you to get as much as possible for your home. And she said, but I don't want market exposure. I just want it sold. And I said, well, then you give me a number that you'd be comfortable with. And let me see if I can, if I have a buyer for it, a realistic price, because it's not, this is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And she came up with a price that was substantially lower than fair market value. But I mean, this was going to take, you know, uh, <laughs> more than a shovel to, to yeah. empty out this town home. Yeah. And I, I knew somebody that was capable of doing it, called him. I said, how much sweat equity are you willing to earn? And he bought that from her. She was ecstatic. Now, did she sell it well under market value? Yes. Did I get paid? Yes. But I connected a buyer and a seller that both had needs and I satisfied that for each of them and got paid. So again, it's not transactional, it's relational. Put the your client's interest as out front and stay focused on that. You'll be fine. Wow. It sounds like a lot of work. It really does. I had heard, I guess this has been probably 10 years ago, but I had heard somebody say that the average, average realtor made less than the average teacher. Oh, I'm sure of that. Really? Yeah. Well, and, and in particular, yeah. and we need to talk, We I know we're in a Petri dish here. We're in another environment here, mm -hmm. but the number of part-time realtors here in the village is very significant, very significant because they're semi-retired, right? Right. Right. Um, we've gone from about 120 agents in the village. I think we're in the 90s now, um, but there's still 90 plus agents in the village. And um, I don't want to be too specific, but yeah, the lower half of those agents make less than a teacher. 
Wow. And I've got to be very specific because the the instance that I was referring to or the, the case that I was referring to uh, is that you, you, most other people, a teacher doesn't have to pay their own marketing expense. Kids just come in. Right. A teacher doesn't have to do a uh, desk duty, you know, doesn't have to sit and wait no matter what, whoever calls and comes in the door at some point and just sit and wait for somebody. Uh, and then the possibility of not being paid at all. Right. Oh, I've spent months with a, with a client, you know, looking to buy a house and then they, you know, decide either not to come or don't get the job transfer or whatever. And you get absolutely nothing, but you know, I don't believe in karma, so to speak, but you treat it, treat people right. And it'll come back around to you. It really will. Um, and I, I don't mean to complain at all. I absolutely love being a realtor. I do. I absolutely love it. And I can't imagine doing anything else, but yeah, there are definitely the, the frustrating days. I had a transaction um, that I was eager to get closed here about a month ago and three days before closing buyer decided not to move to Arkansas. Just up in, they lose escrow or what? Yes. Yes. Defaulted on the transaction. So, you know, but unbelievable. Unfortunately, that's a domino effect. You've done everything you can. The contract is solid. The earnest money is there, all of that, but you can't, you, you just have to say, we're going to sign the termination. We're going to move on, find another buyer. Let's get it done. And that, that, client is super satisfied and happy with me, you know, for the service, but th there's roller coasters. This is one of those that's a feast or famine. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, a, uh, occupation for the faint at heart when it comes to income, <laughs> it's rather irregular. So <laughs> feast or famine, literal feast or famine. Well, I tell you it what, can be. Rick, because we need a little more context and we've covered a little of this before, but I'd really love to hear the whole story. So you you originally were a realtor in Seattle. In Seattle. Well, let, let me back up. You were born where? Seattle. Okay. Just south just south of Seattle. Um born and raised there. Um and in in the 1980s I wanted to become a realtor. And my mother was a broker at a lo local real estate office and uh I said that's what I want to do and she said Son, you're 18. You just graduated high school. Not a lot of credibility with folks, you know, to be, mm -hmm. you know, representing them on their most valuable asset. Maybe you should start shaving first before you're a realtor. Maybe. Right. Well, I was doing that. But other than, yeah. So I went out and went into retail uh, and went into selling in jewelry stores. Um, I had a, a nine year career as a manager for Wisefield Jewelers up and down the West Coast. And, uh, so, and I enjoyed that, but by that time, come 1993, my mother was saying, Hey, you know, for the hours you're putting in and the occupation you're doing, maybe I should be recruiting you to come work in the office because I think you do real well. And I, I was already doing real well in, in retail. So it took me two years to get off the ground, even with my mother as, you know, as a model to follow as to, you know, how to do it, the template it took two years to get to the income that I had left behind and not everybody can do that, but I was fortunate to, to, to make it. Right. And but, but now hang on, we're, we're, we're right around 1995 now. Correct. Correct. Okay. But were these the halcyon days of Seattle real estate at that time? I mean, uh, you couldn't, rate, you couldn't interest, make a bad move. 
No, uh, um, interest rates were eight percent. They were gradually really? coming down. Yeah, uh, it wasn't bad. Um, but the average, you know, the average home was a hundred, hundred and ten, you know, back back in the day. So affordable. Yes, but it took it took more transactions to make some decent money too. Sure. So sure. Um, so things so things have changed, but um, eventually got became very successful in real estate and then had one of those come to Jesus moments where literally, said, literally, literally, and said, is there more to life? I mean, um, and I had a deep faith as a Christian and talking with my wife, I said, you know what? I just feel like I'm fitting God into the time that's left over. <laughs> and I, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable about that. And we went on a vacation to Puerto Rico. Um, Isn't that where she's from? My wife was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Yes. And by the way, Uh, in case there are questions, if people think that you and I resemble or we're alike or we have the same personality type, we, I will remind you that we both wildly overmarried and she's not hearing that. So I'm just making note that's you and me and the thousands of listeners and viewers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We married up for sure. Definitely. And, uh, wonderful woman. And after uh, we had a couple kids at the time and we went down and visited and it was a horrible week's vacation. It rained the entire time we were on the island. My wife had a distant cousin that passed away during our time and we went to the funeral and it was just an awful time. And on the flight back, I remember uh, just just thinking about all the different things that had happened over that week and how hey, terrible. Hey, one it- sec. D- did you mean for this to be a, a tourist type environment or you were just going to visit her family or no, we were visiting were her expectations? family. Yeah. Her family. Um, and we were, we visited the, the poor side of the Island, not the San Juan side on Ooh. the North coast, the metropolitan, we were down in the barrio. Okay. So um, the, the roof leaked over the bed where we stayed. Okay. So it was, it was very poor. And that was part of what we saw while we were there. We just saw kids that were caught up in uh, selling drugs. There was just no future. And the word that hit both of us right between the eyes was a sense of hopelessness. And there was no word that you could describe it. What's worse than hope than not having even hope. You can be and have bad circumstances, but what's worse than not even having hope. And so we just, that just really impacted us. And when I told her about a week later, I said, I haven't been able to get Puerto Rico off my mind. I don't know what it is. I just, I just feel burdened and a draw. You'd think it would be almost like a, you know, get out type of a thing, you know, where, (laughs) where, you know, you wouldn't want to come back, but I just felt, I felt drawn back and her jaw then dropped. And she said, well, that I felt that exact same thing while we were in Puerto Rico about coming here and doing something for these kids. And then my my jaw dropped. You're really, so nearly like a God thing, huh? How about that? Uh, But so you say, okay, we need to do something. Okay. Well, you're successful enough as a realtor, but you're not a multimillionaire. No. What, what can you do? What can one guy do or one couple do in this instance? Right. And we didn't know really what that was. We we knew we could write a check. We could send a check to a charity. And we actually checked with a couple missionary agencies and said, our heart is for the youth in Puerto Rico. What ministries do you have there? 
and it kept coming up. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Really? And P- Puerto Rico is kind of a second world country. It's it's part of the United States as a territory. It feels third world, but it's not because there's welfare and you do yeah. have, you know, there's a little bit of a safety net there, but it's not first world either. It's just well, not quite. So is it a kind of a hybrid thing? Because, and, and I had asked you one time, and I mean, a year, a couple of years ago, you know, what do the average Puerto Ricans think about being part of the U.S. or whatever? Very yeah. mixed bag, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. It's split right about 50-50 with half would like to be the 51st state. The other half would kind of have a little bit of a, well, actually, it's not quite true. 45% would like to be citizens or they're already citizens would like to be the 51st state. Another 45% would like to keep it the way it is now, half in, half out type of a of a independence the other 10% are diehard independents, resentful of the United States. So, um, and there's some mixed history and rightfully so on some things and maybe not on others, but yeah, we were, we were embraced while we were there and we decided that um, we had the financial means to sell our rental properties and just go. We didn't know what the, because there was no agency to go with, we were just going to go and find a way to serve. And so we relocated, <laughs> flew out with our kids. Our family thought we were crazy. We shared it with our small group, our pastor. They all said, oh, yeah, we could totally see you doing that. Easy for you to say. But, um, <laughs> Are you selling all your stuff and coming with us or what? Right, right. But I mean, we had the two Acuras in the driveway outside the three car crammed full garage full of stuff and you know the 3000 square foot we had kind of the american dream and it was it was nice but it it just we're i always tell people that i believe in in three different levels you have survival stability it's four levels sorry survival stability success and then significance and I think a lot of people get stuck at the success. They're doing great, but there's still something missing. I but mean, why do stuck there? Because it's comfortable. Right. It takes a lot so... of drive to move on up to those other levels. Right. Why do why do so many famous people, you know, end up, you know, using drugs, committing suicide? All they've got fame and money. Most people would say that that's success. Maybe not, but the significance is just another level. And we were really looking for that. We were looking to to get beyond ourselves and, and try to do something good. We ended up getting our kids into a Christian bilingual school. We volunteered there for a while. We got fired as volunteers. That's a, that's a long story, but it was a, um, one of the assistant principals was jealous of the pastor and the superintendent making me the assistant superintendent as a volunteer i was unpaid but but the the title made her upset and he was going to lose somebody over it said i i got to let you go and i said we won't miss the income <laughs> you know? I, I understand he said it's not personal and i said actually it's a, it's 100% it's, personal it's not personal uh, it's just the, you're the person and it's the person for the personal and then it's probably personal but it went not personal for me it's personal for y'all right right and i said but we don't want to cause any problems here we don't want any disruptions he said you can leave your kids here they can continue here we said no nah, we'll take them with us <laughs> and uh and that is what led to uh, one of the 
a, a pastor in the town now, instead of 45 minutes away, a pastor in the, the town that we were living said, we're opening a school, a Christian bilingual school. And we said, oh, great, we need a place for our kids. By the time we were done interviewing her and she got caught wind of Liz being bilingual, my wife, she was like, I think you need to be a teacher here. And what that turned into was seven years of helping them grow that school. Both my wife and I both taught at that school. And it went from 37 kids to 250 uh, in that small local town. And so it was tremendously fulfilling. But eventually we got to a point where we were planning on returning to the States. Yet we still had a heart for at-risk youth. We found the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home down in Monticello, and we volunteered to, for, to an interview. That turned into being hired as house parents, and we were there for a couple of years, uh, went for another additional year up to the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, and then by that point, our kids were empty nesters, son off to you know being in a Marine, daughter graduating college, the other daughter was already <coughs> on her own. And I said, okay, honey, now what do we do? Um, and she said, well, where do you want to live? We can go anywhere we want. And I said, yeah, I want to be on the water. I want to be on a lake. And we ended up on Lake DeSoto and back to real estate that I had enjoyed so much and been successful with, just adapted it back to uh, here at the village, but uh, back into real estate and what I'd done for, had done for years before that. So a big, long, full circle. A full circle back to real estate. That's right. Well, and I was going to make note. Uh, I always love the story, and I've, you've told it a couple of times to me personally. But the story about the school, I don't. I don't think we, uh, as as monolingual, I don't think we understand the true benefit that that a a, a, sc a school like this in an impoverished area. And I, you know, sometimes it may not be first net, first world, but it's not third world, so it's kind of second world, which kind of can be one of the worst one of the worst worlds because nobody comes rushing to your aid when there's a problem right but at the first time at the other time you, you aren't exactly enjoying the ritz carlton at the same time right right yeah and that's and, and what what i was going to go with that was is that <clears throat> explain just and, and i know we need to be considerate of time here but explain a little bit more about what learning english like to, what how did that help help them change their career paths or their 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 outlook did, did it give them hope did it i don't know what did it do yeah well it was a combination of factors yes um becoming fluent in english was huge because that opened doors for them and the school started as a with just a, a kindergarten and a first grade and then the next year it was they added third grade and the next year they added fourth grade and the next year they added fifth grade so they could keep those kids and we left before we even got to the first graduating class. Um, and I had the same uh, fourth graders for fourth, fifth and sixth grade. So really got to connect with the kids. Yeah. It was a very immersive English. I wish I had learned, gotten to be a little more fluent in Spanish because I was doing all my instruction in English because they needed to learn English. Mm. But um, but my kids my kids came out of their bilingual, which was really beneficial for them. Yeah, so sure. they, they, they learned Spanish. But uh, yes, in addition to the speaking English, though, it gave them, one, a safe environment to learn. Um, we had drive-by shootings on the, on the street one block from our 
our house, you know, Puerto Rico. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Drive by. Um, my wife hit the, hit the floor as they, you know, were shooting and, um, my wife's two half brothers in Puerto Rico were both, both murdered while we were there. While you were there, while we were there. Um, they unfortunately were involved in drugs, which is what so many of the kids where they end up. And it was our first year down there and we're trying to connect with them. And they, one of the family members comes running up the street yelling for my wife and said, Coco and Jorge, they've been, they've been found. They've been shot. They're they're dead. Unbelievable. And, um, and we just looked up and said, God, we're here. serving you what's going on you know oh my my very favorite song of all time is i've said amen and it's still raining god i I said amen i prayed it what's the deal right i don't think things that uh, don't make sense right i mean they don't have to make sense but um it's like getting kicked in the teeth when you when you think you're doing great and things like that you know happen but um, we saw some pretty amazing things come out of some of those things too. And we just, uh, it was an amazing experience being there for seven years. No thing or is good or evil of itself, but as the way it is used. Right. So, well, and let me, let me go back to one other thing. And I, just, cause I'm just a stinking curious guy like Randy. Uh, <laughs> I had heard, and I know I, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself functional, hardly even in English, but I've heard that when you teach or learn another language, it's literally like gaining another worldview because the way they say things, the the way that they phrase their Spanish, their English, their Russian, their German, their whatever, it is, is a reflection of, of literally their mental thoughts. Is that, am I close? I I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm negligent in those areas. A couple of those things. Spanish is not Spanish is not Spanish. <clears throat> Just as uh, Pac the Ka is not y'all come down, right? <laughs> I mean, they both are English, but right. dif- different dialects for sure. Barely, barely. Right. So it, it, that holds true. Port- Puerto Ricans speak fast, very fast paced, um, but they sound different than Cubans or Mexicans or Venezuelans. So. Really? you have the the different dialects and you can tell between and there's some words that I I was literally at one of our we taught English as a second language also in the evenings to adults and I was reading the dictionary out loud and I read the Spanish word for goat and I said it out loud and every head in the place turned and stared at me and I said what did I do and my wife said, oh, no, no, in Puerto Rico, you can't you can't use that word. Now, in Mexico, you can use that word. But in Puerto Rico, you don't use that word. Really? So, so yeah. it's, it's a slang word or a, or a, a slang a, word. Right. And there's yeah, there's other words that, you know, uh, for car, uh, coche versus carro. Well, coche is a baby stroller in Puerto Rico. And in but that is what they would say in Mexico instead of uh, carro for you know, for Puerto Rico. So, so there's differences. Um, there's also differences in that culture. There's discrimination. I had to kind of scold my eighth graders at one point where they um, were, I heard them call me gringo. 
And now, is said, that necessarily defamatory or is that? It was intended to be. Okay. Oh. <laughs> the way they were the, using it. The way it. they yeah. said it. Yeah. Yes. Stinking gringo. Stinking gringo. Yeah. That's right. And, but I brought up to them, I said, you know what? I'm not offended by that, but let me tell you something. Did you know that it, that the United States, a lot of people might call you spicks. And did you know that you're running down Dominicans? You're saying stupid Dominicans. And then in the Dominican Republic, they're saying the stupid Haitians. I said, isn't that really kind of silly? We're all trying to find someone to put down lower than we are. And they they kind of took from that lesson. And I said, so if you want to call me names, you can do that. But I'm just letting you know, it's not productive. And, you know, it speaks to your heart. And it was a Christian school, so we were able to make a good lesson out of it. But it just kind of showed that it doesn't matter where on the rung you think you are. You're putting somebody down, but somebody's putting you down probably, too. So it was there's some there was definitely some cultural things that we had to discuss. And I had to learn as well because I wasn't familiar with some of that. Well, and and I'm going to sneak in a little conversation we had at the DeSoto Club one night. Uh, Liz, your wife, who is Puerto Rican by birth, said she was discriminated against. Right. Because she wasn't Puerto Rican enough? Or I don't know. What does that mean? She was half Puerto Rican. Um, And there are, you have some of the same race, uh, how dark of skin, how light of skin. I mean, just ridiculous stuff, but it all, it just kind of shows that again, people's perspective, something that I'll find somebody else to put down is kind of the <laughs> attitude. And it's like, that just doesn't make sense, you know? So, so every, every culture has an Aggie or a Polak. Is that what I'm hearing? Basically, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Well, yep. Rick, honestly, I've wanted to ask you this on camera for a long time. Thank you so much for your interview. Thanks for, you know, we, we moved from the the pros and cons of being a realtor to kind of the bio story for you and Liz. And I really enjoy it. I'll, I don't mind sharing it. Um, anything that you can do to help out other people, you know, I, I've expressed to you before we tape this, that I'm kind of reluctant to talk about it. I don't, I don't, I would, I I don't share necessarily with, with everybody. So when you asked me to share that, I was a little bit reluctant, but um, the, the truth, if you talk to somebody that's been on a short-term mission trip, they'll talk to you about how much they gained from it. Not all (laughs) the things they accomplished. And I feel that way too. I've been far more blessed by what, what we experienced and the blessings on my family than what we accomplished in the, you know, in the mission field. So. Right, right. Well, and, and I'm, I'm my, the song that comes to my mind is mm, thank you for giving to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, mm, there are lives that won't be, won't be, won't be completely changed until after you and I both are in the dirt. Yeah. I look you forward know. to meeting him up there and, and uh, sharing some of that again. Oh, well, Rick, as always, it's a pleasure. Hot Springs, Dennis, village, Hot Springs, Dennis, Hot Springs village inside <laughs> out. Dennis Simpson. Mr. Rick Marshall, we will see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast starring Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com.